This is Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. Fiction and nonfiction, graphic novels and more, we're here to help you find something great to read. Welcome back to Books and Nachos. This is Brock, and today I am continuing my reviews of the short stories contained in the Ian Fleming James Bond short story collection, Octopussy and the Living Daylights. Back when I reviewed The Living Daylights, I had mentioned this collection has gone through quite a few changes over its publication history. Today's stories are the two that have been added to this volume after the original publication date of the book in subsequent printings, Portrait of a Lady and 007 in New York. These stories appeared in magazines before being included here. Property of a Lady was commissioned to be published in the Sotheby's Annual Journal and then was republished in Playboy. And 007 in New York appeared in the New York Herald Tribune in 1963. And of course, Octopussy and the Living Daylights was published after Fleming had passed, the last of his Bond works to come out, and that is where both these stories can be found today. In, from what I understand, all current versions of Octopussy and the Living Daylights. Both of these stories lack the Bond feel, lack any sort of purpose, really. Starting with Property of a Lady, it does hook you into the idea of the story. How spies lure the identity of their oppositional counterparts. The espionage does work and is the most interesting thing about the story. But the whole affair is over as soon as it begins. Unlike in other works, here Fleming doesn't waste too much time on incidentals. This short story could have been streamlined a tad, but thankfully, I never felt it overstayed its welcome. The story opens with Bond bored in the office. Again. <laughs> Big lull in world issues at that moment. Again, Bond between assignments and he's bored. It's not a strong opening. I have to say these Bond bored openings. It would have been nice to have Bond mid-mission be a little more exciting. Just like the movies, you know? Bond is finally called into M's office, and here's a little bit of business I quite enjoyed. Bond says that he can usually tell what sort of mission he's going to get by Money Penny's facial expression. And her bland one here tells him it's likely a routine job. I just love that. A few sentences, and it speaks volumes about their relationship. Once in the office, Bond is introduced to Dr. Fanshawe, who is in there, as a member of M's research department, which I found to be quite the amusing euphemism. Bond's mission. Bond is told that a female agent there at MI6 has been a known double agent for the KGB for quite some time. MI6 knows she is giving information to the KGB, so they feed her false information to give to their counterparts. She was recently sent a package which contains a priceless Fabergé emerald sphere, supposedly betrothed to her by a recently deceased mother. The piece had been authenticated as the real deal and is up for auction at Sotheby's. M and Bond suspect the price fetched for the object will be the long-overdue payment this agent is due for her work with the KGB. For years, they didn't know how she was being compensated, and now they suspect this sale is doing just that. Putting it up for auction, she'll keep the winnings, and the doctor estimates it could be as high as £100,000. Because he mentions there will be an underbidder at the auction. The underbidder raises the price of these objects so the KGB agent will get paid a higher sum for these trinkets. So Bond suggests they stake out the auction to make the underbidder, who more than likely is this woman's boss, the resident director of the KGB operation in London. And if they find out who that is, they could potentially stop the leak of information within the government for a few months until the KGB can refill the position. Even though they're feeding this MI6 double agent false information, they do know real information is also getting through. 
So Bond goes to Kenneth Snowman of Wartsky to accompany him to the auction, as this man will be bidding as high as needed to get the item for one of his clients. The female agent is described as homely as they come, not all that attractive, with, quote, pale, pimply skin and an unwashed appearance. Nasty. And Bond credits her actions with the KGB against the UK as revenge against the world does not welcome her kind of look. So this first part of the story isn't a complete loss. While it certainly is Bond light, we get that nice money penny moment, a good interaction with M, and Bond hatching a plan. And given I have seen Octopussy, I am still intrigued enough to see if it plays out anything like the movie. To hear my summary of the tale, it does kind of sound interesting, doesn't it? And it is. It's sort of interesting. But it's not as captivating as the summary may imply. Before the auction, Bond studies about 200 photos of Russian embassy personnel, and he checks the crowd for any sort of familiar face based on that studying. That's a nice touch. Like in The Living Daylights where Bond practices target shooting, Bond has to study these photos to be prepared. The auction bidding scene was quite fast, and Bond himself has nothing to do with it. <laughs> Snowman was there for his client and was raising the price as he needed to get the item, and once it was one-on-one -on -one between him and the anonymous bidder, it was up to Bond to figure out how this other bidder is indicating he is still in the running, because there's nothing obvious like holding up a program and Bond needs to make this guy. Bond figures out who the bidder is by the slightest of movements. The man was wearing glasses, and he sees them take him off. And Bond instantly figures that if the man is wearing glasses, the auctioneer knows he's still bidding, and if he takes them off, that means he's no longer raising the price. Bond sees a taxi with his Russian enter the Russian consulate, and with the evidence of what he is doing at the auction and where he works, he will be sent home. And the analogy used is, quote, in the grim chess game that is Secret Service work, the Russians would have lost a queen. Well, that sounds more interesting than what I just read, I'll tell you that, but I get the point of what they're trying to say. The story is told directly. There's no nuance or subtlety, no lengthy character development or action beats per se. Bond is being a spy and using his brains, which is great. But I know nothing more about him from this story. If this was your first James Bond story, you'd probably say, what is the big deal about this guy James Bond? A little bit of the espionage could have played more tense if I felt there was more at stake. Or if the auction scene played out a little slower, they couldn't make the guy very well, they're running out of time, or something like that. A time limit could really be a nice way to amp up the tension. But that was not this story. There's not much more to say here other than Property of a Lady is a pretty forgettable read. The essence of it is sort of in the movie Octopussy, but as you hear from my summary, it's pretty different. Bond doesn't swap anything out, he's not involved with the bidding, etc. But still, this story is a pretty minor one in the James Bond canon for sure. Reportedly, Fleming himself did not like this story either, and refused the payment from Sotheby's as a result. While I didn't dislike it, I certainly can't recommend you read it. There is nothing here of notability. 007 in New York is our second story today, and to call this a short story is unfair to short stories. It would be like calling Gone with the Wind a magazine article. And not only just because it's 1,500 words or so, but because it isn't much of a story. It is James Bond, or more accurately, Ian Fleming, talking about New York. Opens with Bond bitching about Idlewild Airport, now called JFK, in New York City. Such negativity is not funny, 
nor did it engage this reader. Bond goes through the immigration with an alias passport, since his real one is flagged in New York, and Bond is there in New York on a mission to tell a female MI6 agent that her live-in boyfriend is actually a KGB agent, and Bond's mission is to tell her before the CIA and FBI find out who she is and tell them themselves, or perhaps even arrests her as an accomplice to this man. After leaving the airport and complaining, Bond takes a cab from the airport to the hotel, and we get treated to Fleming's thoughts on the hotels of New York, and how they just aren't as nice as they used to be. And like I said in my review of the short story From a View to a Kill, it just really reads like Fleming is giving us his opinions on here, the hotels of New York, whereas before in that story, it was the restaurants of Paris. Clearly, it's not James Bond talking here. It just feels like I'm reading a diary entry or a piece of correspondence that Fleming wrote to somebody. There's a quick mention of Bond once had an apartment in New York. But what we get is a two-sentence throwaway regarding how hard it is to get brown eggs in New York City. Bond comments then on the shopping and where they get the best of everything, in, quote, his opinion. He then moves on to the best places to eat and the problem with American food. Spoiler alert, it all tastes the same because it is all, quote, long frozen. Uh huh. Bond throws out the rhetorical question, or rhetorical to him, when was the last time a farm fresh egg or a fish caught that day was served in a New York restaurant? He's quick to cover his tracks, though, saying besides in Italian restaurants. Italian restaurants do do that sort of thing, according to Bond or Fleming. The story ends with a half-hearted attempt to get back to the, quote, reason Bond is there in New York, warning this girl. Bond was to meet her in the Central Park Zoo at the Reptile House, yet we find out that the rendezvous didn't go all that smoothly at all because, well, there isn't a Reptile House at the Central Park Zoo. Now, all of that is explained in a single paragraph. Why can't we read that story of Bond scrounging through this park with pursuers on his tail, trying to get to this girl first as they both wander the zoo and Central Park, maybe even a little bit of Fifth Avenue, could have featured New York more organically and giving us some more semblance of a James Bond tale. Perhaps he could have worked in the hotel and the food and the clothing and the shopping, all those preferences, into the story organically, instead of it having being a laundry list of likes and dislikes of the author about New York City. But alas, we don't get that here at all. Of notable interest in the story, Bond was looking forward to making plans with a woman named Solange, a former lover he is looking forward to seeing again, who lives here in New York. In the Daniel Craig Casino Royale, the femme fatale, the woman on horseback from the beach, the wife of the man who hired the bomb maker. Her name is Solange in that movie. Clearly, here is where they got that name, so that's kind of cool, but there's no way to know if the woman in the movie is based on the character's look here in this story, since we get nothing of her character, just a name. A story this short, but five pages long, has no room to do character work or, well, frankly, descriptions of any sort except one famous description that ends the piece. A recipe for scrambled eggs. Seriously, it's called Scrambled Eggs James Bond. Because the recipe is so short, I will read it to you now. 12 fresh eggs, salt and pepper, 5 to 6 ounces of fresh butter. Break the eggs into a bowl. Beat thoroughly with a fork and season well. In a small copper, parentheses, or heavy bottom saucepan, and parentheses, melt 4 ounces of the butter. When melted, pour in the eggs and cook over a very low heat, whisking continuously with a small egg whisk. While the eggs are slightly more moist than you would wish for eating, remove pan from heat, add rest of butter, and continue whisking for half a minute, adding the wild finely chopped chives or fine herbs. Serve on hot butter toast in individual copper dishes, parentheses, for appearance only, and parentheses, and with pink champagne, parentheses, tattinger, close parentheses, and low music. 
While I am not a gourmet chef, admittedly, I have made scrambled eggs, and I would think many people, when they start to cook, begin with or learned how, pretty early on, how to make scrambled eggs. So to have this at the end of this story, to me, is a head-scratcher. Perhaps every article in the publication of the story first appeared and needed a recipe attached. Who knows? I do have to say, though, I disagree with the technique here of how, quote, Bond tells us how to make scrambled eggs. He keeps whisking it. and puts the butter in later. It doesn't really allow the eggs to set at all. You get really flat and runny eggs if you constantly stir the eggs as they cook. You should let them set a little bit and then gently move from the edges of the pan towards the center. (laughs) But I digress. 007 in New York has really little to nothing to do with James Bond. While a mission is casually mentioned, it is dropped so we can read the impressions of a city the author alternates from loving to hating to busting its chops on. A completely trivial, unsatisfying story that I think is the worst use of James Bond as a character in these short stories I have read so far. So that wraps up this episode of Books and Nachos. I encourage you to click on the forums link if you want to discuss these stories with other listeners. Maybe you feel I missed the point of 007 in New York. Please let me know. Maybe I didn't see something. Maybe it's satire that went completely over my head because I was blinded by the scrambled eggs. (laughs) So please, go to the forums and let us know your thoughts. You can also let us know your thoughts by leaving us a positive review on iTunes, and that way other people like yourself can find us and take a listen to Books and Nachos. Don't forget to go over to nowplayingpodcast.com as we're finishing up our 25-episode James Bond movie retrospective over there, and come back here next week for another James Bond Ian Fleming book review. Thanks again for listening. Books and Nachos will return. Thank you for listening to Books and Nachos. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can catch back episodes at our website, booksandnachos.com. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, which can be downloaded at podsafeaudio.com. Books and Nachos is a Venganza Media production. Copyright 2012. All rights reserved.